In the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel encamped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord all what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, you are clothed in power, 
in holiness, in majesty, in splendor. I pray that you would glorify your name within us through your servant Godwin as he preaches on you to us. Show us our great, great need to see you in the fullness of your glory. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Exodus chapter 19. It's an important chapter in the Bible, very important chapter in the book of Exodus, and uh, we have come to, to this chapter. Before we look at the passage, let me ask you this question. Would you be afraid to meet God? Would you be afraid to meet God? Maybe that sounds a little scary. Maybe it's hard to know what exactly that looks like. What does that mean to meet God? Does it mean that you can see him? Does that mean you can touch him in some way? Can you actually experience him in all his fullness and glory? Or perhaps we would only be able to experience something like a shadow of God. Well, every encounter of God in the Bible is fairly dramatic. I can think of two examples in the Bible. Here's one, Isaiah the prophet. If you want to look at this encounter, it's Isaiah chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah walks into the temple after the king of Israel dies. He's a little depressed. And what does he see? He sees God on a throne, high and lifted up, and the angels are praising him. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And the train of God's robe, imagine this, fills the entire temple. This is what Isaiah encountered when he went to the temple. Paul, the New Testament writer, before he was Paul, before he was a Christian, he was Saul, and he was on the road to, Dama- uh, uh, road to Damascus, and he, um, he was on the road to, to kill some Christians, persecute Christians. And he's struck down with this blinding light. He hears the voice of Jesus calling out to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So is it possible today for you, for me, to meet God like that? Now, we don't have time to get into the rest of those stories, but... But know this, when God meets his people, stuff happens. People change. Isaiah changed. Of course, the apostle Paul changed. He became a Christian. History would dramatically shift for these two men. So in a room of this size, it's safe to say there are people here who, as you've walked in the room, you're you're hurting Maybe you're confused. Maybe you feel lost or discouraged. Maybe you feel like God is distant from you. Or maybe you're just wanting to take another step in your walk with Jesus. You don't know what that looks like. Well, I want, I want you to know something. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. I don't know your circumstances. But here's one thing I do know. Every single person in this room desperately needs to meet with the living God. Because that will change you. It'll change you. Now, it might be hard, but it's going to change you for the good. 
In Exodus chapter 19, after a three-month wilderness journey, God brings his people finally to himself. But the way they meet God, the way Israel meets God is, is kind of unexpected. It's, it's kind of epic, and it's a little strange as well. I want to move us through this chapter in, in three kind of phases. There's three Ps, alliteration for you guys, three Ps, proposal, preparation, and power. Proposal, preparation, and power. That's how you can remember this chapter. So let's start with proposal. What happens when Israel gets to this mountain? Well, first God makes a proposal to his people. This is engagement day for his people, right? You remember, uh, some, those of you that have been married, you remember your engagement day? You remember um, the dude falling to his knee and, and saying a few kind words and, and saying, hey, I want to marry you. And, of course, the dudette is excited and there's maybe tears in the eyes and, and she says yes. Of course, they don't really know what they're saying yes to, of course, right, at that moment. They don't really know. It's kind of like that for Israel too. They don't really know what God is asking of them and what they're saying yes to. God drops on a knee and he makes his bride an offer here. And let's carefully look at his offer. Look at verse 4. This is his offer. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. I love these descriptions God gives to Israel. First of all, a treasured possession. You're going to be a a special, cherished people to me, Israel. You notice kingdom of priests, that meant they would be uh, mediators and custodians of God's covenant and truth to the rest of the world, to other nations. And then number three, the third description here is a holy nation, a nation that is set apart for God's purposes. There's a lot here that we can talk about, but in a nutshell, here's what God is saying. I have miraculously and powerfully saved you. I brought you safely on eagle's wings. It didn't feel like eagle's wings, but I brought you safely to this mountain to be with me. And now I want you to commit to covenant to be my people and obey my commandments. Or you can sum it up like this. I've saved you. Now be my people. I've saved you. Now be my people. You've got grace, now live in light of that grace. This is God's proposal for his uh, people. And and here's the deal. It introduces a supernatural principle for Christian living. Here's the principle. God gives before he asks. Do you see that? God saves before he demands. In other words, God's grace always precedes God's loss. Sometimes we think the God of the Old Testament is harsh. He's a big meanie. He's got all these commandments that he he levels on his people, on Israel. And they they can't come through on these commandments. There's too many of them. 
It's too difficult. He's always judging people in the Old Testament. That's sometimes what we think. Meanwhile, the New Testament God, Jesus, it's all butterflies and roses. He's so gracious and kind, and he can put his arm around you and make you feel special. Well, that's an unfortunate misunderstanding. We see here that the God of the Old Testament is full, is full of grace. We see that here in the book of Exodus. For 18 chapters, what we've seen is grace, right? Grace. And it's only from this place of grace that God requires something of this nation. Notice God is saying in in verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did. You've seen how I saved you, Israel. As New Testament Christians, we too have seen God's grace in our lives. We have seen the cross, right? We have seen the resurrection, and we have seen what these two magnificent events mean for sinners. For us, just like Israel, it's grace first and then law. And that order makes all the difference. When we get this backwards, we get into trouble. We often feel burdened by the commands of the Christian life. Sometimes we look at God's commandments and they burden us. Can't take another sermon, right? You come to church and the pastor tells you something else that you haven't done yet. And you got to take that into your week and you feel guilty and pressured and burdened. Same thing at a Bible study or when you open up your Bible to read in the mornings. You read something else that that pricks your conscience. Gosh, i got to do that too. And you're still working on the sermon from last week, right? Well, what if we could see and feel the resurrection and and cross greatness? What if we could see how God has pulled us out of Egypt? It would probably put some wind into our sails, right? All of a sudden, those commandments that once looked burdensome, They're exactly what we want to do, right? We want to do it. Here's what I'm trying to say. Obedience to God was always designed to be a joyful response to what God has first done for us. You see that? Obedience to God was always designed to be a glad response to what God has first done for us. The pastor, Tim Keller, some of you have heard of him. He said this, uh, religion says I obey and therefore I'm accepted. That's what religion says. Think about different religions. It doesn't matter really what it is. Every religion functions in this way. I've got to do something and then I will be accepted by the divine. But the gospel tells us something different. The gospel says I am accepted by grace and therefore and now... I go and obey. You see the difference there? There's two acts in the great story that God is writing. Act one is God saves us. Jesus is on the stage. We are in the front row. We, we watch this activity. We watch this great salvation, and we are moved. And then there's act two, where we respond, where we, in a sense, get on stage with Jesus, and we live our lives out with him. 
But when we forget the first act or mix up the acts, that's when we feel burdened. We feel pressured to get everything just right. That's when we stop listening to sermons and stop reading our Bibles. What if we started our lives every day with, with Act 1? What does that look like to start with Act 1? Well, before you jump into your day, before you consider all the tasks that you have for your day, take, take a moment, take several moments to linger in God's presence and get your heart happy in God. Now, what does that mean? Remind yourself about what God has done for you in Jesus. Rehearse the good news. Remember your Exodus journey. And it's from that place of remembrance and joy in God that, that you can now go and live your life. That's the proposal God is making to Israel. I've saved you, now live for me. And you'll notice that Israel in verse 8 accepts this proposal. So the engagement is over. Israel has accepted it. They don't really know what they've accepted. There they are. Now it's time for premarital counseling. Those of you that have gone through premarital counseling realize that it's important and it's really awkward. And so they go through premarital counseling with God. It's time for preparation of the, for the wedding day. Let me read verses 9 through 15. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horns sound a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses has gone down to, to, to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. God tells Moses that in three days he's going to come and then he gives them these somewhat strange instructions. The first one is to wash your clothes. It's verse 10. And then verse 12, to fence the mountain. And for those who touch the mountain, there would be the death penalty. Verse 13. But this is all wrapped up in the idea of consecration that we see in verse 10. He says to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. Do you know what it means to consecrate something or someone? You probably do. It means to set apart, to make holy. And the washing of the clothes was, of course, a a symbol of the inner cleansing that Israel needed. The fence was required because these people, this nation, they were not holy. And, of course, God is holy. So you've got to imagine that over these two days of preparation, there was great solemnness and reverence as they were preparing in these ways for God. This wasn't a a casual kind of thing. This wasn't a casual visit with grandma over cake and tea. This was God coming to his people, right? 
I think in the 21st century, this is something we don't always understand. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean the utter holiness of God and what it demands. You can't just approach God nonchalantly. You can't just approach God casually. That's not going to work. Remember, even the great Moses in chapter 3, he was asked to take his sandals off, right? So here the people, they've got to prepare themselves. They have to consecrate themselves to meet with God. How do you prepare to meet with God? How do you prepare to meet with God? Now, Sunday mornings, here's one example of God's people coming together to meet with him. Now, if you're like me, then Saturday night is fun night, right? You're, you're watching a movie, you're playing some games, you have some friends over, and oh, look, it's midnight. Whoops. Right? And that's me, and, I, and I'm a pastor, right? I can't imagine the stuff that you guys do. But what if we recognized that on Sunday, October 23rd, on this day, the Lord God has planned to visit this church in power through his word and by his spirit? What if we believed that? How would we ready ourselves for that? Well, maybe we would prioritize sleep to start with. Get to bed early. Maybe you would read the sermon passage ahead of time with your spouse or your family or a friend or at least by yourself. You want to make sure that you get in the right mindset to do whatever is necessary so that you're fully awake, not just physically, but mentally, that you're alert because God's coming. God's coming. But it's not just Sunday mornings where we meet with God. Every time, listen, every time you open up this book, is an opportunity for you to meet with God. It doesn't matter whether you're by your bedside, or you're in the kitchen, or you're in the living room. Whenever you open this book, you are inviting the very presence of God. Listen, th- th- this isn't, th- reading the Bible isn't just you know, um, getting a couple of good, inspiring thoughts to put wind in your sails. If you need that, go to the Hallmark store, Right? It's not just doing homework for your Bible study. It's not just answering questions. When you open up this book, this Bible, you are inviting God to meet with you and speak with you in the here and now. It's an event. It's an event. And God wants to speak with you and care for you through that. So friends, how can you prepare for that? What does it look like for you to prepare to meet with God as you open up this book? Israel was prepared to meet with God, and we as New Testament Christians ought to prepare as well. So that's premarital counseling. Now it's the wedding day. Okay? Now it's power. Exodus 19, I'm going to read this, 16 through the end of the chapter. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. 
The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourselves warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down, bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. What do you expect to see when God comes to his people? Well, I don't really know. I mean, there's so many different examples in Scripture. So in in some ways, when we get to this section, at least to me, a lot of things surprise me. Notice that when God visits his people, there's a, a sort of disturbance with creation. There's thunder and lightning and smoke and fire, natural things occurring in unnatural ways. And the people, Israel, they tremble too. The people tremble, and and in verse 18, it says the mountain violently trembled. Imagine waking up on this particular morning and going outside your tent and seeing this mountain on fire. And and, 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 and like an earthquake, it's drawing you closer to its sight. And then the trumpet blasts, and Moses, imagine Moses leading his people, leading his people to this mountain. And then you hear Moses and God. I can't even imagine this. Moses and God, they're talking to each other in the midst of all of this craziness. What was that like? Then we get to the end of the chapter, and, and honestly, what I'd expect is for somehow God's people and God to meet on the mountain, right? I mean, anticipation is building. It's growing. That's what I expect, and that's probably what Israel expected too. At some point, this, these limits, this fence would be broken down and, and they would be able to run up the mountain. Look what happens. God warns Israel to make sure they don't come through. And this time, God says, I'm going to take you out if you touch this mountain. feels so anticlimactic to me. This is the hardest part of the chapter for me because remember what God said in verse 4. Look back at verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings, and here it is, brought you to myself. I brought you out of Egypt to be with me. And then we get to the end of the chapter, and God's saying, you can't be with me. It's like a bride and a groom being told on their wedding day that they can't see each other or touch each other. That's just nuts, Right? must have been hard for Israel. They couldn't climb up this mountain. You see, Mount Sinai was a mountain of fear. It was a terrifying mountain that seemed to push Israel away, not invite them in and welcome them in. It was a mountain with barriers and limits, a mountain with symbols, but Israel wanted the real thing. Israel didn't want a shadow. Israel wanted God. They wanted to see and touch and experience the God that was behind the symbols, behind the barriers. That's what they longed for. That's what they dreamt for. Everything in them wanted to run up that mountain. And that's exactly why God warned them not to do that. They wanted to meet God. They wanted to meet the one who had 
redeemed them. But they couldn't. At least not fully. Because God was holy. Beyond any human recognition. And they were not. They needed to be cleansed and washed and purified just to walk up to the mountain. But apparently they needed more. We can't climb up the mountain to be with God either. There's no perfect ritual. There's no cleansing. There's no prayer. There's no uh, pilgrimage. There's no spiritual accomplishment that will get us up that mountain because we, like Israel, are not holy. Mount Sinai is not our mountain. I want you to turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. When you don't know what to do with a passage in the Old Testament, you hope and pray there's a New Testament author that speaks about it. And in this case, there is. Hebrews chapter 12, it's page 1,193 in your pew Bible. Verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. There it is. Here's Mount Sinai. The mountain of fear, Sinai for Israel. But look at how this passage starts. You notice the first few words there? You, Christian, have not come to this mountain. If you're a New Testament Christian, this is not your mountain. You don't climb this mountain. You don't need to climb this mountain. There's a different mountain. Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You've come to a mountain of joy, brothers and sisters. And you can climb this mountain. You can get up this mountain through Jesus. You can encounter this God through Jesus. You can be in his midst. You can experience his fatherhood. You can sit in awe of his majesty, or you can stand with hands raised to worship his holiness. You can be with this God because today we have come to a mountain of joy. Now, how can this happen? It's because we have someone better than Moses as our mediator We have Jesus. And because we have better blood, a once-for-all sacrifice, we can get up this mountain. 
We can run up this mountain freely. We can be with the one who has redeemed us, and we can be with those who have been redeemed. This is our joy. It doesn't matter what you've gone through in life. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now, my friends. Let me say it again. There is nothing more important than for you to encounter and meet the living God, the creator, redeemer God. And because of Jesus, you can do it. So what's my final application? Go ahead, run up the mountain. Get up the mountain. Run up the mountain of joy and be with your God. And if someone ever asks you, how can you do this? He's holy. Don't break down these these fences. You can tell him it's by the blood of the Lamb that we can do this. Let's pray. I want to lead you in a time of intentional prayer. So keep your heads bowed and follow my lead. If you've struggled with burden and pressure and fear as you try to live out the Christian life, if you've struggled to live out of God's grace for you, you take some time now to pray to God, ask him for the ability to see his salvation grace. You struggle to prepare yourself to meet with God. Maybe because you prioritize other things above meeting with God. Take some time now to confess to God and ask Him for help. If you are not yet a Christian, or you've slipped a little in your Christian walk, and for whatever reason you found it difficult to run up this mountain of joy to be with God, take some time now to talk to God and claim the blood of Christ over your life. Repent and believe in Jesus. Receive his grace and mercy for you. Father, we are grateful that you would not keep your people at Sinai. We are grateful, Father, that you would bring us on this side of the cross and resurrection, you would bring us to another mountain to be with you. Through Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.